The reading is the first eight verses of Ezekiel chapter 37. The Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good to see you. Well, I can nearly see all of you. I think one or two behind pillars, but it is good to see you. And welcome to those, if there should be anyone watching online. Let's pray that the Lord would speak to us through the scriptures. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the scriptures and we pray that through them you would reveal your heart to us and we pray you would move amongst us to make a difference to our lives. Pray for your help, the help of your Holy Spirit as I speak and your Holy Spirit's help for all of us that we might receive from you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if this was a television program, there would be a little announcement at this point, and it would say, in a change to the advertised program, we are going to dot, 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 because I've decided to change what I will talk about this morning. I want to develop a theme that we began looking at yesterday morning, those of us who were here, when we looked at how Jesus moved in the life of a Samaritan woman in John chapter four, and basically how he repaired or began to repair her life. And I've called this talk that I've written early today, with God in the repair shop, with God in the repair shop. Now, I don't know if in the last 18 months you happened upon a rather peculiar program that is on the BBC called The Repair Shop. And it began as a program that was shown at a time of day where really precious few people watch TV. You might say, when's that? Well, you know, kind of, I think sort of three in the afternoon, tucked away in an obscure part of the BBC. And much to their surprise and to uh, everyone's surprise, it became a very, very popular program. 
And in case you've never watched it, even though they moved it to peak time, the plot is very, very simple. People walk into a building that the BBC have made to look as if it's in the countryside, but it, for all I know, it's in Shepherd's Bush, I don't know. And, and they turn up with something that's very, very precious to them, which has been broken or lost its it shine and generally damaged. And they hand it over and say, oh, this is very precious to me. I'd love to see it back in its original shape. And um, over the course of the next hour, you watch lots of experts tenderly get to work on these objects, whatever it is, whether it's a, well, I don't know, a kind of broken clock or a, a wooden horse, or it could be anything. And at the end of a program, and it's always the same formula, they get reintroduced to their cherished goods and they burst into tears. And, and actually, I'll let you into a secret, I really like this program. And the reason I like it is because nothing nasty happens. No one gets shot in the head unexpectedly. Um, no one goes off and commits adultery on the skeleton. You know, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's all happy endings. And in these days of high stress and trauma, uh, it'll do for 10 minutes. It's fine, I like it. So <laughs> I'm gonna talk about how we are in God's repair shop and how he gets to work with us. And my very first point is this, God himself is in the restoration business. God himself is in the restoration business. In, in Peter's first letter, near the end of it, in chapter five, verse 10, he writes, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. After you've suffered a little while, I don't like the sound of that, but he says after that's happened, God himself will restore you and make you strong. And probably we're familiar with the picture that comes in Revelation 21, where we're told ultimately, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now amongst his people and he'll dwell with them and they'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. God's in the restoration business. He's in the repairing business. And what I'm gonna do with you today is we're going to visit just a number of places in scripture and see how God brings this about. In the hope that we'll build on what God began to do with us yesterday morning. And the, the place that we begin is the passage that was read to us from the book of Ezekiel and it's a valley of dry bones. And I'll just remind you of, of how it's described. Ezekiel's vision, Ezekiel 37, this is. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit and set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth amongst them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of a valley and they were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Now I've got to ask you a question. Here's what you say to him back. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. It's a very canny answer and it generally will do the trick. 
It's certainly true. God does know. But Ezekiel, that's what Ezekiel says. I, I don't know. I don't know. Lord, you alone know the answer to that one. And God gives him a promise. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Now, the same word for breath is the word spirit. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you'll come to life and then you'll know I am the Lord. Now, I want to stretch into this passage and say, well, what's it feel like to be a dry bone? What's going on here? How can you spot a dry bone when you meet one? How do you know if you're dry as a bone? I think sometimes this kind of imagery doesn't really work with us. It's a bit like the psalm that says, as a deer pants for the water, we don't pant for water generally in this country. We, we just long for a bit more sunshine. And, and so we have to kind of use our imagination. But here's what I, I think a dry bone is in terms of our spiritual life. And many people know exactly what it's like to be spiritually dry. Here are some of the symptoms. It, life becomes, especially spiritual life, all duty and no joy and you find yourself going through the motions, all effort and very little reward. There's a feeling of exhaustion, a sense of running on empty, or maybe just running on fumes. You know in your heart, really, a kind of compassion fatigue, a church fatigue, a love fatigue, and it it can get worse than a feeling of exhaustion. It can get to a place of simply no feeling at all. And when you talk about God, or you think about him, instead of thinking about his place in your life personally, you think of general theories about what God has done. And personal testimony gets replaced by what could be called propositional truth. And what God has done for me gets exchanged and replaced for what God has done generally. And your expectation diminishes You don't expect to meet with God. You don't expect him to speak to you personally, but you just keep on with the routines. And frankly, as Jesus says, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, it's only a matter of time if you're dry as a bone, that what comes out of your mouth will tend to be criticism and complaint, rather more than compliments and a desire to contribute. And you become a better observer of what's going on in times of worship than a participant. And the joy of the Lord's gone missing. Well, in giving you that rather comprehensive outlook picture, which is depressing, I know, how do I, how am I able to do that? Well, because I've been there, I know this territory and it's painful and it's dry. And it's not that you don't believe anymore because actually nothing that you believe is any different than what you always believed. But it's that you feel distant from your beliefs. And what can change all of this is the breath 
of God's Holy Spirit. Question, reality check. What do people see when they encounter you and me? People full of the Holy Spirit? Or dry as a bone people, I wonder? I've never wanted to be dry as a bone. Who has? <laughs> no one I know of. But I've spent time in this territory, and I want to help you out of there if this is where you feel you are. The time I was most dry as a bane was when I was leading a church of about 500 people down in the southwest of England. Every day I was getting up pretty early before my children got up. They were very young then, so it was pretty early. And I was reading the scriptures and I was dealing with a heap of work. I would spend quite a lot of the time visiting people. Sometimes they were kind people and sometimes they were complaining people and sometimes they were demanding people. Sometimes they were faithful people. Sometimes they were damaged people because they were like you and me, they were just people. And every week I would produce a sermon which I hoped and thought and believed was a biblical message. And uh, from time to time people were coming to faith, which is a good thing. And you might have dropped into that church and you would have thought that everything was honky-dory and you might have been impressed because there were plenty of people. And every week um, there was singing and there was activity and there was bus busyness and a lot of exertion. And the, there were certainly numbers in attendance. But I was still dry as a bone. And the presence of God was very marginal and weariness was very present. Then I heard on the grapevine that things were going on in a church in central London and there was a move of the Holy Spirit. And I connected with a friend who worked there and I asked him to pray for me. I asked him very cautiously because I'm the kind of person who I would just confess I don't generally feel a huge amount when people pray. I am sort of more cerebrally led, I suppose. I feel I'm wired that way. And I wasn't really expecting much to happen when my friend prayed for me, but I knew that I needed refreshment. I knew that on the inside out, I, I was dry as a bone. And when he prayed for me, something did happen. I'm able to say now, looking back, without question, it was the Holy Spirit's presence refreshing me. I felt the presence of the Lord. I, I felt reconnected to what it was that I believed in when I first gave my life to Christ. I knew that God loved me from the inside out. And I felt refreshed to a degree. I remember going back to Salisbury where we were living and, and explaining to Liz as best I could, you know, I think this is real, real. This is God on the move. And over the weekend, I uh, told my church what had been going on and we prayed for people and a move of the Holy Spirit began. 
I could tell you about all sorts of physical manifestations that happen, but I'm not sure I want to, in case you choose to really let them dominate the picture. What was most remarkable was a sense of the presence of God came upon us as a congregation. And it lasted for three or four months. And I noticed, well, if I'm being slightly flippant with you, one of the miracles was people came to church on time. That, that, that never happens. And they, they did, they came on time. And then secondly, we were all slightly wary. We, we had this sense of holiness in God's house. I, I sometimes pictured it a bit like this. It was a ridiculous picture. But if you kept a tiger in the hall and from when it was a sort of baby tiger and you sort of patted it on the head every time you left and then one day it growled at you, you'd stop patting it on the head. And it was like now coming into church, instead of just rather familiarly slumping to our seats and you know, hands in pockets and being pretty casual about it, we were all just slightly on edge because you never knew what God was about to do. You felt the presence of God. And yes, sometimes people would fall over and sometimes people would, were healed. Generosity went right through the roof because people wanted to give out of a heart of praise. But the thing I want to come back to is it was the presence of the Lord that really made a difference. For me, it, it was like a reconnection from the inside out. You know, in scripture, tucked away in Acts chapter three, at the end of one of his sermons, Peter says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We're not the first generation of people that need to turn to the Lord and say, refresh us, Lord. So how does this happen? How, how, do, we, how do we make space for this? Well, I would say step two is this, be willing to wait. Be willing to wait upon the Lord for the Holy Spirit's touch. Think back to the days before COVID, when when you wanted to see the doctor, you just made an appointment for a face-to-face -face appointment. And let's suppose that you had an appointment at 10 o'clock and you go to the doctor's surgery, you report in at 10 o'clock. And you, you would hope, wouldn't you, that by 11 o'clock you'd have seen the doctor, had your encounter and off you go. But if you make an appointment with God for refreshment, it's not gonna be like that. You can make your appointment for 10 o'clock in the morning and you know what, you'll be shown into the waiting room and there you will stay. Because scripture tells us those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. In, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, there's quite a long chunk, and I know for most of you it's going to be familiar territory, which ends up with Isaiah talking about how you're refreshed. But I'm going to begin reading it to you slightly earlier than that, because it also describes the kind of mess we get into when we are dry as a bone. And you know what most people do? They have their own private pity party. And they end up ranting at God and saying, don't you care? Can't you see the mess I'm in? Aren't you going to do something about it? Well, if you've ever been in that territory, you're not the first. Let me read you what Isaiah says in his pity party. Why do you complain, Jacob? Well, it's God speaking, actually. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. 
Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow weary, tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Exhaustion and weariness and burnout, they're not sorted out in five minutes. A few years ago, um, when I was burnt out, I had a sabbatical break and Liz and I did a house swap with her family and they had a nice house in, in California near the coast. And um, on about day four, I remember over breakfast pretty much, Liz looked at me and said, recovered yet? And, and I had to say, no, no, it does, doesn't work like that. You can't just snap out of it, you know, three days and you're up and running. And on about day five, when we met sometime in the morning and we had a prayer time, and I said, Lord, thank you so much. We can have another day of quiet and rest. And the voice from the other side of the room said, oh God, not more rest. But you know, when you're weary, soul weary, it can't, you can't just bounce out of it. There is a period of waiting upon the Lord, active waiting, active receiving. And it's very frustrating if you're an activist like me and you want to be up and doing something to make it happen, you can't make it happen. In fact, you can make it not happen by rushing around and asking yourself every five minutes, am I better yet? It, it's making space for the Lord to work. I'm rather allergic to phrases like mindfulness and that kind of stuff. And when I read a few books about what to do in burnout, most of them I just couldn't bear them, go and hug a tree and that kind of thing. But, but they, are, they do make a good point. As a Christian, you're not trying to empty your head of everything, but you are trying to slow it down enough that you invite the Lord into your orbit and you just wait, wait, wait. And it's really not surprising if you are dry as a bone, if you feel nothing for a period, because you can't connect with your feelings. Many years ago, I was talking to an elderly man who had um, friends who had fought in the First World War, and he said that in the trenches, it became quite well known that young people got weary much quicker than older people of, with more life experience. But it also became well known that young people refreshed quicker and the people who had been on the front for, for longer periods of time before being aware of their weariness took a lot longer before they got their strength back. It can take time, we have to make provision. But it seems, you know, it's not just Isaiah that says those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. It's actually there in the scriptures in many places. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. <clears throat> Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And then the third step I want to suggest is, as Paul says to the Ephesians, 
Let the Holy Spirit fill you. It's not just a vacant sitting down doing nothing. It's asking the Holy Spirit to come and make a difference. And in fact, if you look at Ephesians 5.19, there's a whole package of measures that Paul throws into the mix for restoration, I think. Let me read them to you. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit or let the Holy Spirit fill you. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think in there is a rather a good care package for when you're feeling dry as a bone, but actually for any time. And it's like provision against cynicism and provision against self-harm. I remember when I was studying to be a vicar at theological college, in the room next to me was a, a man who sadly was suffering from depression. One of the things that he said to me, which made a huge impression, was he said that he had resolved in his own heart that even though he was in a dark place and life seemed really hard work and twisted, he said he'd resolved that whenever he heard from anyone else about any good thing that was going on, he would always try and encourage that person. He would never try and strip away their faith or their excitement. He, he was training himself, if you like, to rejoice with those who rejoice. What I see is Paul saying very much that kind of thing to us. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Invite him into your space. Surrender yourself to God, he's saying. But not only that, commit yourself to speaking positively about what you see going on around you. Whenever you see God at work, thank God for that. Even if you don't feel touched by it, if you see it in someone else, praise God for that. And engage with worship is what Paul is saying. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Whether you feel like it or not, just determine, I'm going to buy into this. Spurgeon, when he was preaching on Psalm 145, talks about the need to commit ourselves to praise. That psalm begins, I will praise the Lord. And Spurgeon comments, let me tell you, you will need to say, I will, a great many times if you determine to praise the Lord. For many obstacles will hinder your resolve, and these will cause depression of your spirit, and then you must say, I will exalt you, my God the King. Poverty, sickness, losses, and crosses may assail you, and then you must say, I will praise your name forever and ever. The devil will come and tell you Christ doesn't care for you, and then you must say, every day I will praise you. And if you ask me, well, how is this to happen? I would take you to one final stop of scripture and say it happens when you come to Jesus himself. That Jesus in John chapter 7 says to us, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. If anyone is thirsty, that really is the only qualification. Let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, so I suppose actually that is a qualification too. You need to come, you need to be thirsty, you need to believe, and then you need to receive. Now we're all, as I say, wired differently. Some people get onto this very, very fast and it's no problem at all. For others, it's a struggle to be still. It's a struggle to wait upon the Lord. But I can only teach you from the scriptures what I know to be true. This is a way of getting out of the territory of being a dry bone. And God is in the restoration business. He will do it. It's his work. But for, for some of us, in a few minutes' time, literally, I'm going to invite Rachel and Dan again to come to the front. They're going to lead us in some worship. They're going to, if you like, sing over us. And we're invited simply to engage in the presence of the Lord. And if it feels rather clunky and rather odd to you, that's fine. Um, no one else, let me tell you this, no one else is going to be watching you and thinking, oh, what are they up to? That's not what this time is for. This time is for each one of us to engage with the Lord as if he's standing right in front of us saying, let me restore you. And it will be him that does the soul surgery because only he can do it. And he will because he loves to give good gifts to his children. Should we give it a go? The only way we grow in this is by trying. And it practice that helps us get into the territory of the presence of the living God.